This is a Federal News Network podcast. The government doesn't do too much spending and planning. It doesn't do enough. That, at least, is the contention of my next guest. He's a vice president at Booz Allen and co-author of a book on how organizations can better plan for successful futures. And Tim Andrews joins me now. Mr. Andrews, good to have you on. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. And your book has an unusual title, A Brief History of a Perfect Future. And you didn't say future perfect, so we know it's not a grammar book. Instead, it's about long-term planning to have more control over the future. What's this all about? Well, the premise of the book is that there are exponentially advancing technologies that offer great potential and promise, and that it's often hard for us to get our arms around planning for those technologies because they advance so fast. It's shocking to us how fast they add capabilities. An old colleague and mentor of mine said, one of the best ways to try and think about that is to break the spell of the present, because if you think about it from the present forward, it's very difficult because you tend to just extrapolate pretty straightforwardly from today. You have to go far enough out and then really kind of imagine, wouldn't it be ridiculous if we didn't have X? So 20 or 30 years, and then take a look at these really rapidly advancing technologies and the shocking amount of capabilities they'll create for good or for bad. And then think about looking backwards, what we have to start doing today if we really want to have more good and less bad. You mentioned several once-upon-a-time technological powerhouses that kind of lost their edge. I think you talk about Xerox Park, which with the latest generation of technology probably hasn't heard that story of who invented the mouse and so on. Also IBM and Bell Laboratories, amazing innovator. None of them are really factors to the extent, if they even exist, that they were. So what are some of the technologies that you think exist now that could provide this kind of potential? What are they? The mouse has already been done. Well, actually, I think despite the incredible advances that we've seen since the Bell Labs and the Xerox Park, we're really just at the cusp of the most amazing advances. So if we think about even in computing and information technology, the Internet is still fairly new and is going to explode, I think, over the next 20 or 30 years. And computing power is still developing very, very rapidly. And we have a whole new kind of computing power that hasn't started yet called quantum computing. And then on the biological front, another colleague of mine once said, and I agree with this strongly, if you think the computer revolution was something, wait for the biological revolution. And so the advances in genomics and other kinds of bioinformatics are incredible right now. And then these things come together and make even more power, a whole is greater than the sum of the parts effect. So if you put the advances in computing and AI software and sensors together, you get like the Google driverless car, which is more, again, than just a car. It's the combination of all these incredible advances in technology coming together at once. You're starting to sound like Ray Kurzweil, who says pretty much everything is an information technology, including life itself. Very much so. I've been saying that for a long time. And Ray is certainly a hero of mine and lots of us in this industry. And a lot of us have been saying that for a long time, that these days you could go to the extreme like Ray does and say there are only information technology companies. I've tended to say, well, information technology is a critical aspect of virtually every company. Sure. And so in some ways, it sounds like you're extolling people to think more along the lines of Steve Jobs, who tried to almost cannibalize his own products or whole industries by saying, what if we had a phone with no buttons or something? 
I had the rare privilege of working with Steve a long, long time ago when I worked on the original Macintosh computer. And so Steve was very inspiring. He was an interesting character, but also very inspiring. And he did listen to a lot of smart people. In fact, Alan Kay was one of those people who influenced Steve Jobs a lot and influenced me a lot. So absolutely. We're speaking with Tim Andros. He's vice president of Booz Allen and co-author of A Brief History of a Perfect Future. And you do have a chapter on what the government should do to foster, I guess, innovation in industry, because the government is a big investor in basic R&D across the board, pretty much DOD and civilian agencies, but also for a better future for government operation itself. So tell us what your prescription is for a perfect future for the government. That's right. You know, at Booz Allen, obviously, we work a lot with the government, but government has been a critical player in the advancement of various kinds of capabilities. And I would say technologies, but most people don't think about like biomedical technologies as a technology. When you say technology, they tend to think about information technology, but really technologies across the board. So the government was deeply involved in many of the technologies we have today, the development of the transistor, the development of the GPS, the development of the Internet. And actually, a lot of biomedical development has been sponsored by the government. So one thing that they do that's really important is the sponsoring of this early stage research to get these ideas off the ground. And then we outline some other ways that we think have been successful. For instance, if you look at the agency called ARPA-E, the advanced arm of the energy department, they've done a lot of really great work. And we talk about that a bit in the book in advancing these new technologies and getting them to practical realities without spending a lot of the government's money. So the government can do really great work without having to necessarily spend a ton of taxpayer dollars. And then there are the grand challenges, the most famous, I think, of which is the DARPA grand challenge on autonomous vehicles, where they spent about $2 million and generated really the entire autonomous vehicle industry. And we talk about that a little bit, too. And there are other ideas. Booz Allen does a thing called the Data Science Bowl, which is a sort of a similar grand challenge thing with Kaggle. And once a year, we have these grand challenges like let's figure out something important about the oceans. Let's figure out something important about cancer. And we let it loose and we get a lot of tremendous progress by doing that. So it's more of a convening and a leverage function and a research function that we see government playing a primary role. They can also play a role in certain areas like climate change in regulation, which they've done, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act and things like that and in enforcement when we really need to move faster and the markets will move, but just not quite fast enough. And they can also kill something with regulation or taxation. What was the old saying? If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And when it stops moving, subsidize it. And you don't want to get into that cycle. No, it's always a balance because, you know, I always say uh, in a paraphrase of a famous Churchill quote, government is the worst solution for most of these problems, except for everything else we've ever tried. So, By its nature, government is large and cumbersome, and so we don't want to really have large government programs doing a lot of stuff. But again, in certain areas, it's hard for markets to really get organized and drive things, especially at early stages or in cases where there's a lot of entrenched interest but a difficult problem to solve, something like the climate. And in government, you see a phenomenon that also you see in industry when the really big things happen, and that is a small group or an individual who can sustain the drive toward that thing over a long period of time. I mean, you mentioned at length Elon Musk, 
and what it took for Tesla. I mean, he was almost out of business several times, and right. now it seems to right. be really you know an actual company with sustainability. And you see that in some of the space programs where a single mind made sure that the focus was on a particular project over sometimes decades. But that's also yep. the weakness of government is the lack of sustainability sometimes. The vicissitudes, the winds of political change sometimes blow things off course or close them before they've had a chance to reach their promise. Absolutely. It's one of the things that we at Booz Allen, you know, we try really to work hard with our clients and partner with them on really difficult missions. And that is one of the challenges is the constant changing of personnel and changing of administrations will make it difficult for people to sustain. Although I would point out that everybody who thinks about government and spends a lot of time in politics will recite the Solyndra debacle from the Obama era. But what they forget is the same amount of money was given to Elon Musk. And Tesla probably would have failed. We, you know, we can't say in hindsight, but probably would have failed if the government hadn't stepped in and provided them about $500 million worth of loans. So yes, Elon Musk is a singular personality who got this stuff done, but he needed some government help too. And it was a government loan that saved Chrysler and gave us the minivan. Correct. And ultimately bailed out GM in the last financial crisis. Yep. All right. Well, lots to think about. Tim Andrews is vice president at Booz Allen and co-author of A Brief History of a Perfect Future. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. 
Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but... Uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was... It was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, – his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture 
of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.